0: Welcome, everybody, joining us from wherever you are watching. We are glad that you are able to tune in and join us today. And so here we go again, back to the live stream. And so I have um, a couple of announcements to make, and and one about that in particular, which I'll come back to in just a moment. But let me start by uh, saying that uh, Pastor Bill, I think many of you know, has... um, taken a church in, in Vallejo. And so uh, the door opened and Pastor Bill uh, sought to fill in temporarily. And I'm not surprised at all that it became a permanent thing. And so Pastor Bill is officially the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Vallejo. And he's already begun to uh, to teach every Sunday and he has been. And so as you know, he's been teaching here on Wednesday nights and still filling some uh, various various duties and so as of now, that that has altogether stopped. The transition has has uh, been completed, if you will. And so uh, it was about a year and nine months ago I became the senior pastor. And Pastor Bill has been such a blessing to me. And he has helped me in so many ways along the way. And God has just blessed this transition. He really has. And everyone knows it. And we really want to finish well all the way to the very end. And so Pastor Bill is going to be teaching this coming Wednesday, and this is going to be somewhat of a uh, a farewell message, if you will. Now, obviously, he's still very much a part of the family, and I'm sure that that we will be seeing him around, but uh, as it is, his teaching ministry here will uh, kind of come to a a finish line, if you will, this this Wednesday. And so we want to ask all of you to tune in to that. It will be at our normal time, which is um, 7.30. 15. Is that right? 7.15? I can't even remember. Um, 7.30. And so at any rate, um, Pastor Bill will be giving a special message and, um, and just sharing his heart with all of us regarding this. And so I want to encourage you to, to tune in and, and be a part of that. Now having said that, next Sunday the goal is to have an outdoor service. And so this is kind of short notice. But this is our aim, and we we think that we have uh, everything that we need in order uh, and lined up to do that. And so it's going to be at 9 a.m. We want to try to beat the heat just a little bit, and we're going to try to have everything set up to make it as as comfortable for you all as we can. And so uh, we're excited about this. We want to be together, and we want to honor the protocols that the government has, has set in place. Uh, but this is what some of the other churches are doing, and so we're going to get in on that. We have a, a space where we can do that. And so we're going to be in-person worshiping outside next Sunday at 9 a.m. And it will also be live-streamed simultaneously. And so we're asking folks who may be concerned about their health or, or may have pre-existing issues or anything like that, please stay home and continue to, uh, to tune in that way Uh, but we will have one service that will be in person and live streamed at the same time and that'll be 9 a.m. next Sunday so very excited to be able to tell you that and I praise God that we have the ability to do these things so that brings us to today's topic we are continuing our way through the Calvary Napa vital signs and today we're going to be talking about God's people gather God's people gather that is the topic Uh, This was something that we had already adopted to be um, very much a part of what we're about. And so the timing is obviously awkward. I I get that. Uh, But it's just part of the whole package. And so a couple things I wanted to say about that is that these are things that we believe, that we hold to, that we see as important. And right now as we're not able to gather the way that we would like to, we have to be creative and we have to be diligent about being in community to the best of our ability. Even if it is on Zoom or phone calls or one-on-ones with folks having coffee. Uh, We have to make the extra effort to still be in Christian community, however we're able to do that. Uh, In addition to that, obviously we're making efforts to be able to come together and gather, uh, like, outside next week. And when we come back together fully, um, these are things that, that are very near and dear to our hearts, that we believe the Scriptures uh, speak a lot about, and so this is something that is important to us as Calvary Napa, we are a people that love God, love his church, love each other, and we put a great emphasis on gathering in community, gathering with other Christians, having Christian fellowship, and so we want that to be something that we are marked by. So having said that, if you haven't seen or you've missed any of the previous messages in this series, uh, the Calvary Napa of Vital Signs, I would encourage you, I would ask you to go back and watch those because I want all of our people to see all of these messages because this is something that is very important to us and I want us to all be on the same page as far as that goes. So uh, let's let's go before the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into our message for today. Join with me. Father, we praise you. We we honor your holy name and we thank you that you are God and that you are Savior and that you are Lord, that you are King and you are our friend. You have called us friends. You love us, God. You lead us, you provide for us, you teach us, you protect us and Lord, you will see us all the way through to the very end. You preserve us, Lord, we will be with you forever in eternity and glory and we We rest in that. We rejoice in that. And Father, I just want to pray today for the churches in Napa. I pray that wherever or however they're meeting, that your blessing would be upon them all. That that the body of Christ at large would be being ministered to. That you would be receiving glory in all of the local congregations. I pray for the churches all around the world, God, that are struggling in this time. I pray your blessing upon them, Father. I pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters who have been suffering well before any of this came about and will continue to suffer. And be faithful, God, to the death even. And so we, we lift up our brothers and sisters who are, who are hurting around the world and being persecuted. God, may your, your grace and your strength and your blessing be upon them. And so we we thank you, God, for this day. This is a special day when your church does gather to honor you, and I pray that you are blessed, Father. And I ask that you would bless this time as I share this message that our people would hear it, receive it, be greatly encouraged, taught, blessed, strengthened, and that you would help me, God, to communicate accurately, effectively, by your Spirit, with love and passion. And I thank you in Jesus' name amen amen and amen okay so God's people gather God's people gather let me read this paragraph to you the church is not a building but rather a community of Christian brothers and sisters who love God and love one another God never intended for us to live the Christian life in isolation so one of the greatest gifts he has given us is each other we gather regularly to worship him to study His Word, to use our gifts, and to encourage and strengthen each other in love. And so that's what we're about here. This is important to us. You know, we live in a time, this is uh, an increasingly individualistic society. That was, a, that was a, a mouthful there, but it's all about the individual. And the culture that we are in, the society that we are in, it's all about me. You know, there was a time when it was much more about us as a society, as a nation, as a, as a, a community. But uh, we're moving farther and farther away from that. And it hasn't always been that way. That's, that's kind of a, a relatively new thing. Traditionally, society and church understood that it was about the whole. It was about the community. And so it's always been about the kingdom of God. The church always took very seriously God's kingdom and advancing God's kingdom. And we collectively make up God's kingdom. We also saw ourselves as a community of saints, a body of believers. So always very concerned about what was good for the whole. And in some ways, I think we've gotten away from that. And, you know, it's God's design that we would be together. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, God said it was not good for man to be alone, so he made him a helper comparable to him. And so God knows, God understands that we need each other, that we need to be in community. It's always been that way. And some people have very different perspectives about this. And I've I've known people who thought if only they could be alone then they would be happy in life. Their idea of happiness would be isolation, you know, moving out to off the grid into the mountains and living by themselves. And I, I knew one person in particular I was very close to and I knew that this was their their aspiration in life. But you know it was It was startling to me even when the day came that they realized that they had it wrong. And that for years they thought that this was what would make them happy, oddly enough. And they came to the place where they realized they were getting older, that they were alone, lonely, and scared that it was going to be that way forever. And so that's the reality, guys. We are meant to be in community. We are meant to be in fellowship. And sometimes we can even deceive ourselves into thinking that's not the case. But it is. And then you have other people who who know that they desire to be in fellowship with others. They know that they desire to have friendships and, and be in relationship. But you know what? Praise God. Praise God that He gave us a place. God gave us a place to belong and a people to belong to in His church. God has blessed us with Christian community, Christian fellowship. And that is one of, I believe, the greatest gifts that God has given to His church is one another. It's each other. And this is a very big deal to me because for years I deprived myself of that blessing. I was a church hopper. I never really got plugged in. I never really built relationships. I would go from one church to the next to the next. And I, I struggled for that reason. I know that. And so when I, when I finally plugged into Calvary Chapel in Tennessee and that became my home and my family, I began to see God do awesome things in my life. And I began to realize what a treasure the church is to me and so this is something that's very special to me in my heart, and I believe the Scripture makes a big deal about, and what we're going to see is a huge deal to God, a huge deal to God. So the way this is broken out is uh, two main points. Jesus is building a church, and I have 5 subpoints under that. And then the second major point is that Jesus has given us a blueprint for His church, and then two points Below that, And so as we're working through this, I'll try to communicate that as clearly as I can. But point number one, Jesus is building a church. And so, A, he's building an unstoppable church that is built upon his person and his work. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus had asked the disciples, Hey, who does everybody say that I am? And so they began to say, Yeah, some people say that you're a prophet, or you're this guy or that guy. And then Jesus says, Well, who do you say that I am and then Peter spoke up and said you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus said to him you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you but my father in heaven revealed that to you and so Peter's name was Simon and bar Jonah means son of Jonah so Simon son of Jonah and Jesus kinda gave him this nickname Peter and he said, so Peter said you're the Christ the son of the living God and Peter uh, Jesus said well you are Peter And then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now there's a play on words happening here. And what Peter means is little rock. And then Jesus says on this rock, this massive boulder is literally the word. I will build my church. And so Jesus is saying that upon this bedrock, this foundation, the confession of Peter, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus was going to build his church. Now some people have taken this verse to mean that Peter was going to be the foundation of the church. That Peter was the rock upon which the church would be built. And to that I would simply say, God help us all if Peter was the foundation of the church. And we know that is simply not the case. Jesus is. Jesus is the foundation. He is the rock. It is His person and work upon which the church is built and stands steady to this day. Now, this is the first time in the Bible the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, here in Matthew. And Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. And I'm sure that the disciples may not have even understood what he meant. What what in the world is a church? And so what a church is, it's a, a group of people. It literally means called out ones. And so it is a people that have been called out of the world, out of the darkness, and into God's marvelous light, into being the body of christ and so oftentimes we'll refer to the building as church and that's just for convenience sake but this is really the house of the church we collectively are the church and we are the church when we gather and so i just want to say this you know we are doing the best we can with what we have right now as we stream online like this but this is really not church And I just want you to understand that so that you don't go thinking that, well, hey, this is awfully convenient. I'm just going to keep doing this from now on. You know, when it's time for us to come back together, and as I mentioned, we're going to try to start doing that next week outside, we need to be together because that is church. It's when we gather together corporately. And I understand that there will be people who can't right now, but as I said, I want you to find community somehow through Zoom or one-on-one interactions with people or however it needs to happen but that is church is when we gather corporately and so Jesus said nothing was gonna stop him from building his church Jesus is building his church and absolutely nothing was gonna stop that from happening not even the powers of hell itself and I love that folks look Jesus church moves forward and nothing is gonna stop it this pandemic is not gonna stop it protocols aren't gonna stop it persecution around the world is not gonna stop it try as they may throughout all of history people have tried but you can't stop Jesus church and so we have that confidence we have that confidence that when this whole thing passes us by Jesus church is still gonna be going strong it's still gonna be growing the kingdom of God is still gonna be advancing this is what God is doing in the world I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you want to know what God is up to in the world today, he's building a church. He's building a church. And this has been his plan from eternity past, from before creation. The Bible makes it clear. It was in God's mind and in his heart to do this thing. And so this is a big deal. The church, the 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 body of Christ, the assembling of the saints. And yet some people act as though it's not important. Church is not important. Sometimes you'll hear people say, "Ah, I don't think you need to go to church to be saved. That's a true statement. You don't need to go to church to be saved. But if you discount the church of Jesus Christ as something that is take it or leave it, don't really need it, I can do my thing without it, that's a serious red flag to me because God loves His church. And we're going to talk about this and He puts a great value on His church. And when we undervalue His church or we deprive ourselves of something that God has made so very clear that we need or that He has... Given to us as a gift, and we say, Ah, thanks, but no thanks. Something is seriously deadly wrong with that. All right, well, B, Jesus is building a church that was purchased with his blood. Now, let me just say this real quick. I meant to say this in the beginning. This is kind of a dual message here. And so, this is a little bit of what we would call ecclesiology. This is the study of the church, what the Bible has to say about the church. And I'm also trying to mix it in with this concept of we we ought to gather. And that gathering is very important. So I'm just going to kind of be going broad with this. And so it's a a little bit of both. It's a good biblical understanding of the church and then why it's important that we gather. So as I said, B, he's building a church that was purchased with his blood. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Jesus purchased the church with his blood. Then first Peter chapter one, verse 18 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the church me, you, us, that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid an awfully high price to purchase us out of bondage out of slavery to purchase our salvation and to take possession of us as His own special and peculiar people. Jesus paid an awfully high price. In fact, it's an, an estimable price. You we couldn't calculate it. We'll never know. We'll never fully understand what Jesus paid, what He went through to secure us as His own people. And you know, the cross, the cross communicates many things to us. What Jesus did, what He suffered, what He paid... For us and so I'd like to take a moment just to talk about that first what it communicates I would say is is the radical sinfulness of mankind and the justice of God what it took for us to be forgiven what it took for our sins to be washed away what it took for God's wrath to be satisfied it took the the death of his one and only Holy Son upon that tree Jesus, the, the spotless and innocent Lamb of God, gave His life there on Calvary to pay for the sin debt that we could never pay. That we could never pay. It took that. And God's wrath was such that, that we would spend all of eternity paying it and we would never pay it in full. And so what we see at the cross is we see love and we see justice. We see grace grace and justice because God loves us he loves the world he he desired that we would come into the saving knowledge of his son but at the same time he could not pardon sin he could not just overlook it for he is truly righteous and truly holy and so at the cross both justice and mercy collide because you have the satisfaction of our sin debt and you have the extension of God's grace and mercy there at the cross that's amazing praise God for that hallelujah how how amazing and marvelous the cross but I would also say that it it demonstrates the worth of the church the worth of the church to him you know I wanna say something we we oftentimes talk about how God loves me and God loves you and the Bible says that he knows all the hairs on our on our head and He knows the thoughts that we think, and and He's intimately involved in each and every one of our lives, and that is so true, and I praise God for that. But you know, God also loves His church corporately. And I think that there's something very unique and something very special about just how much God loves His people collectively. And that's something that's really stood out to me as I've been studying this through. And I've been really encouraged by this, and this has been a really neat thing for me to see. But you know what? Jesus demonstrated the worth of the church to him that he was willing to pay such a high price. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that was before Jesus in that moment? Well, I would say it was a twofold thing. One, I think that Jesus knew his time had come, that he was accomplishing what God had called him to do and he was going to be returning back to his heavenly glory in a short period of time. But I think he also saw the church. I think he saw the, the outcome of what he was doing there at the cross, that there would be a redeemed people of men and women, countless who would be saved by this and who would worship him together forever corporately. And I think Jesus saw that and that gave him great joy. Jesus loves his church. Jesus died for his church. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves his church. Jesus died for his church. Jesus washed his church, and he continues to do so. And one day he will present us having neither spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, and we will be holy and without blemish in the presence of God Almighty. And that is Jesus' objective jesus loves his church i can't say that enough folks jesus loves his church and if you don't love Jesus' church if you don't love the church then perhaps you don't see the worth that jesus sees and that's a that's a heavy thing to think this is how much jesus loves the church and if we treat the church like ah maybe i'll go this week maybe i won't I don't know, I'm feeling kind of tired. I think I'd rather sleep in. Uh, you know, so-and-so annoys me anyways, or there's this thing over there. What we are We're not seeing or communicating the value that Jesus has in His own church. That is a people that Jesus died for, that He shed His blood for, that He will present faultless before the Father. And so we want to see the same value and worth that Jesus sees. We want to have a heart like that. Alright, See, Jesus is building a church over which He is the supreme authority. Jesus is building a church over which He is the supreme authority. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. So Jesus is the ultimate authority of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, this has been a raging battle throughout the centuries, believe it or not. And there was a time when much blood was shed over this very thing. And the, the battle was, who's the, who's the head of the church? Is it the king of England or is it the pope? Well, we know the answer to that. The Bible makes it crystal clear. Neither one of them. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is to be before all things and to reign supreme over all things. And honestly, folks, I feel like this battle rages to this day. Because oftentimes I think we, the struggle is, is Jesus the head of the church or are we the head of the church? You know, do we decide what the church is going to be like and how the church is going to move forward or does Jesus decide? Does his word dictate how we come together and, and, and do church or do we decide? Are we trying to cater to the, to the whims of, of men and women that, that desire to, to hear nothing but feel good messages or, or whatever the case may be? Uh, there's a temptation out there to do those kinds of things for the sake of numbers. But we have to do church as Jesus would have us do church. Jesus is the head of the body, it says here. And so we are the body of Christ, if the body is disjointed, it's not a body. And so, again, we have this, this idea, we are the body of Christ, Jesus is the head, but that only works if we are a people who are connected one to another. If we are a people who recognize who our brothers and sisters are, who our family is, and that we come together as best as we are able, that's what makes a body, that's what constitutes a body. And so it's very important to us. To be a body and for Jesus to be the head. Jesus is the firstborn, it says here. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now this this is a really interesting thing to me. The Bible says that he's the first fruits among many brethren. That is to say that he is the, the first to, to die and to rise again. And then there would be many to follow. That would be us. As we identify with Christ and we die to ourselves and we are born again, born anew into the newness of life and so jesus is the the firstborn here and and when we gather together corporately we demonstrate this reality that he is the firstborn and we have followed in that and when we gather corporately it puts that on display that jesus was the first of many to come and here we are because of what he has done and we gather corporately that is put on display. And so it takes the body of Christ gathering to really demonstrate that. And so that is what is happening, folks. There are so many things that that are happening as we come together as a body and we put on display the just the majesty of the church and what Christ has accomplished. There's something very special about when Christians fellowship together. D., Jesus is building a church that is made up of God's own special people. Jesus is building a church that is made up of God's own special people. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now... Are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy? So I just want you to notice this. We're described as a generation, as a priesthood, as a nation, as a people. This is plurality, not individuality. God sees us as a collective, as as the whole and we are God's special people we've been chosen and redeemed there's nothing else like this in the world never has been never will be we are God's special chosen people redeemed purchased by the blood of his son set apart to worship him forever and to be with him in glory and we are uniquely qualified to proclaim his praises uniquely qualified I want you to, to, to catch that We are a people who were walking in darkness and now live in the light. We were a people who were bound by darkness, who were blind and separated from God, who have been brought into God's glorious light, and now we see. We were a people. We were not a people at all. We were not a people, and now we are a people. We are the church. This did not exist and now it does. God did a brand new thing. God took a bunch of sinners who were destined for hell, called them into His light, marvelous light, and put together the body of Christ. And we are a people that have received special mercy. We had not received mercy, but now we have. And so we truly are, as the church, when we come together, when we gather corporately, we put on display that we are God's own special people not because we in ourselves are special not because we we deserved that or were so inherently lovely but because God loved us because God chose to save because God is a saving God and he called us together to be his own people E Jesus is building a church that is marked by holiness Jesus is building a church that is marked by holiness Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 it says moreover if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he hears you you have gained your brother but if he will not hear you take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established and if he refuses to hear them tell it to the church but if he refuses even to hear the church let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector so here we have the second time that Jesus uses the word church in the New Testament and Jesus is laying out a systematic approach for the confrontation of sin if you have a brother or a sister who's in sin then he lays out the way in which the sin is to be dealt with and there is a very specific way You're supposed to go to the person that offended you one-on-one. If they will not hear you, then you take someone else with you. And if they won't hear them, then you take it to the church. And if they won't hear the church, then they're to be put out. And this is what we call church discipline. And Paul talks about handing that person over to the devil, essentially, he says, for the destruction of the flesh that the soul might be saved. And so this is church discipline. The point here is that Jesus wants a holy church. And so you, you need to know that this is something that we are bound by Scripture to observe, and we will observe if there is someone who fits this criteria. If if they are in in you know blatant sin, unrepentant sin, and they are called out on it, and they are not willing to repent, and then eventually it has to go before the church even. And if they're not willing to repent, they have to be put out. And I've seen this done a few times and you know what it's been amazing to see how the person would would turn from their sin and come back and publicly confess to the church and and repent and be restored and brought back into the church and then to see what god did in their lives after the fact it's amazing and so this is something that that we do believe in but the as i said the purpose here is that jesus is going to have a holy church and we want to take holiness seriously as a church you know, first Peter, chapter one, verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so holiness, you know, it's not perfection. That's not what that means. Obviously, we can't be perfect, but it is to be different. It is to be separated, set apart. We're not like the world anymore. We don't esteem the world's values as great. We live for a different king. We have the citizenship of another world. We belong to, to Jesus and heaven is our home. And we're to look and sound and act like that. We're to be a peculiar and a holy people. And Jesus takes that seriously in his church. And we want to too. And you know when I've been in churches that take it very seriously. It has only encouraged me and provoked me, stirred me up to walk and live a more godly life and I hope and I pray that that's what happens here that we also encourage and provoke you as it were to greater holiness that's what the church exists to do amongst other things it's a community that provides support and accountability proverbs 27:17 says that as iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend we sharpen one another There might be sparks sometimes, but we hold one another accountable. We hold one another to a standard and we push each other on to greater places of holiness. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, as Christian brothers and sisters, as friends even, we need to tell each other the hard things. We need to have the courage and the boldness to say things that that the other person may not want to hear but needs to hear. And frankly, as Christians, we need to humble ourselves and be willing to hear it, willing to receive it, to prayerfully consider it, and to repent of it if it's true and necessary. And you know, I've, I've had that happen here uh, personally. I've been in situations where, where there was conflict and, you know, I... I Kind of came in like a raging bull thinking that it was such a righteous thing. And uh, I had a brother tell me afterwards, man, don't you think that you were a little harsh with that brother? And I was like, oh, man, yeah, I I guess I was. And I had to go to that brother and apologize and to, to other people that were there. And that's the way that this thing works, folks. We are to hold one another accountable. And it takes community. It takes gathering. It takes this body for this to actually work. The Bible says that isolation is a red flag. Isolation is a red flag. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So when someone goes out of their way to isolate and to remove themselves from community, that's a dangerous sign. And I've had people tell me that God was calling them to do that. And I don't buy that, not for a second, because the Bible says the one who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment seeks his own desires I really believe that the lifeline of any Christian is going to be in plugging into a Bible teaching Bible believing church as far as it pertains to youth as they come up and they move out of their parents house maybe go to college uh, or whatever it may be you know we have this bridge ministry here it's a a year-long residential recovery ministry I believe that the, the that the health of that individual is going to be if they find a church and they plug in. And they have support, family, accountability. They know what their gifts are and they're using them to help further that church. I think if a person does that, they're going to be okay. I think if a person goes out and they don't have that, they're going to potentially fall away. Separation from the Christian community has been a downfall for me in the past I know this for a fact in my own experience there have been times in my life where I was really struggling and there were Christians there that were encouraging me in and I did not and instead I ended up having some pretty hard knocks some pretty hard falls because of that but you know Christian community has also been a great safeguard to me and so I've been on both sides of this and I understand I understand the significance of gathering, of community, of fellowship, of family. As I said, it can be a safeguard or a downfall depending upon how you interact with the church. I've said it before. I will continue saying this. The banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled every time. And so we want to be in close community. We need that. All right. Well, that was, that was all under heading one. That Jesus is building a church. And so now we're going to look at point two. Jesus has given us a blueprint for his church. Jesus has given us a blueprint for his church. It's kind of funny because it's not a building as I said. It's a people. But Jesus has given us a blueprint nonetheless for how to build this this gathering of people if you will. And so we we go to Acts chapter 2. And you can turn with me uh, if you would like to, to this one because this is kind of a, a lengthy text here and it would probably be good for you to have eyes on it. And so Acts chapter 2, picking up in verse 40, we're going to see that this is a blueprint lived out by the early church. So heading 2, Jesus has given us a blueprint for his church, A, it's a blueprint lived out by the early church. So Acts chapter two verse forty, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, "Be saved from this perverse generation." Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them, and they continu- uh, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who were, uh, who were together believed and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So here's the blueprint as lived out by the early church. And so we could break this up in a few different ways. And so the first I will call the entry into the church. The entry into the church. Peter is preaching this message and he says you need to be saved from this perverse generation. And so it's a calling, calling them out. So they they belonged to a community. They were part of a a different gathering, and it's that of the world. And Peter said, come out from this perverse generation. Come out of the world, out of this community, out of that gathering, and come into this gathering. Come into the body of Christ. Come into the light. So there was this calling out. But then it says that they gladly received his word. And so they responded to the gospel message that Peter had just preached, and that's necessary. And so you're called upon to, to make a decision, to respond, to act, and these folks did. They responded to the gospel gladly. They heard the word that Peter preached. They owned it. They recognized that they were sinners that they were in big trouble, that they needed God's gift of salvation, and they were going to give their life to Jesus and repent, turn from their sins, and follow him. They received, and they did so gladly. It was like, where do I sign up? I'm ready. And then it says that they were baptized. As many as believed were baptized. You know, you're saved by grace when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Not by baptism, but in many ways, baptism has been kind of an entry into the church, if you will, an entry into the community of faith. So you're saved by grace uh, through faith, but at the same time, you you almost come into the church as you are baptized. It was a public identification of of something that a, a decision that you had made. It was an outward expression of an inward reality that you had died and risen again into the newness of life. And it was an entry into the community of faith. And there's a pastor here in town um, that I've, you know, talked to on a number of occasions. And he shared with me stories when he goes on the mission field and pictures that he has taken over like Ethiopia. I think was the, the last time we talked in the baptism services that were having there and that was the way that it was when a person was baptized they were now marked it was understood that they were now members of the church and by marked i mean the persecution was was surely coming and so um their life was essentially now on the line once they got baptized and they knew this and there were people who had put faith in Christ and they were going to be baptized, but even as they were on their way to be baptized, they were even vomiting because they were so afraid of what was going to happen to them after they did that. That's, that to me is, is amazing. And so the church has always understood baptism to be so important. It's a command of Jesus, yet so many people within the church have not been baptized. And that will forever, to me, be a mystery. I, I don't know why that is. But believer, if you have put trust in Christ, you must be baptized. You need to be baptized. And for many people, they have seen it as kind of the entry into that that family. Okay, so first we saw the entry into the church. Now we're going to see the disciplines of the church under the blueprint here. So they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That is the the teaching that the apostles received from Jesus Christ that we have recorded for us in the New Testament. That is the apostles' doctrine, and that's what the church was about. That's what they looked to. That was the authority. And so it was the teaching and the preaching of the apostles and those men, those elders who had been raised up by the apostles to govern the local churches. And so that's why we take that very seriously as a church. We're about the Bible. And we want to look to the Bible for how the church should be and how we should live our lives. They were about fellowship. Fellowship. And the word is koinonia. It means to partner, to participate, to have something in common. And so that word koinonia, it, that was the word from which we get the word coin. Because coins, that would be the common currency. So it's something that we all use commonly. Or the, the language of that day was Koine Greek. And the reason that it was called Koine Greek because it was the common language that everyone used. Everyone had that in common. So that's kind of part of the idea here. We are partners together. We are all connected by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are family and we, are, we participate together in a common mission, a common goal. And so this is very real, very deep. The family of God, the Christian fellowship, says that they were about the breaking of bread. Now this was, they would have something called agape feast, love feast, where they would come together regularly and they would eat together. And there's something very special about that. But it would also be uh, a partaking uh, together in the Lord's Supper recognizing the lord's supper communion it was one of the ordinances that jesus gave to his church Two baptism and the lord's supper this was something that the early church did regularly they came together to eat and they observed the lord's supper and that is something that jesus gave to the church so that when we do it paul says that we are proclaiming the lord's death until he returns and so communion is a visible reminder for the body for the church as we come together to remember the cross to remember the death of Jesus on our behalf and to look forward to his return. We're told that they were about prayer and we know this they were a people dependent upon God praying to God and praying for each other and we see that in Acts especially as they would pray desperately for the different things that that they faced in that time. And so to be a people that are marked by prayer, apostles doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, They praised God. You know, they gave God the honor that he deserved. They praised God as they went on. And, you know, in some ways I think that should even be our identity. We are worshipers. We are God praisers. We live for the honor of his name and to exalt him. We notice the generosity. They were marked by generosity. Talked about this uh, last week. But they were even selling their uh, possessions to give the money so that if anyone in the church was struggling or had a need, that need would be met. And so this was a very real part of the early church, the disciplines of the church. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, praising God, generosity, giving to the needs of each other, very very much sacrificially. And then we're told they met in the temple. So they met corporately. The church did gather corporately at the temple to worship. But then they also met house to house. And so they had smaller, intimate gatherings settings where the church would come together because they didn't have a building like we have, and so oftentimes they would have to meet in each other's houses. And so oftentimes church services looked like that, small gatherings, much like what we would would call a life group or something like that. That would be a picture of uh, what the early church gatherings would have looked like. But they were very much about that. And so... We have the entry into the church, the disciplines of the church, now the character of the church. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were a grateful people. They were glad. They were thankful and they were content. Simplicity in life. You know, when you know who you belong to, you know whose you are, you belong to God, and you know what God has done in your life, and you know that God is providing for you and that God is providing, preserving and protecting you and leading you and there's just a simplicity that comes with that there's a contentment there's a joy there's a peace that comes with that and the early church was marked by that they were grateful for what they had they ate their food with gladness praised god for their provision and they had a simplicity of heart about it and they had favor with all the people the church had a good testimony the church had a good testimony in the world They had favor with the people outside the church. And then lastly, the builder of the church. must never forget this. God added to the church daily. I told you in the beginning, God is building a church. That's what he's up to in the world. And it says it right here. That in, In all of this that is happening, that the church was doing, at the end of the day, God was the one that was adding to the church as those were being saved. The Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And so we recognize that that do, we do all that we can to add help to the church and to be the church, but at the end of the day, God brings the blessing. God brings the increase. God builds His church, and He will build His church, and nothing's going to stop Him from building His church. And we, brothers and sisters, as we gather together, are the church. Praise God for that. All right, now... B, it's the second part of the second heading. This is a blueprint laid out by the one another commands. So we have a blueprint for the church as lived out by the early Christians. And now we have a blueprint for the church as laid out by the one another commandments in the New Testament. These are so important. I talk about these with some regularity. And this is something that we need to be very familiar with. It makes for a great Bible study. I would encourage you to Google the one and other commands in the New Testament. And you'll find some great lists compiled there together for you. I'm just going to look at a handful here because I want us to see the practicality of this. What is it supposed to look like when the church comes together? So we've talked about the blueprint as lived out by the church in Acts chapter 2. And it's a great one. That's what we want to be like as a church. You know, Calvary, Napa, if you were to ask me, what is it that we're supposed to do? I want us to be the church. I want us to look like the church. I want us to do the things that the church is supposed to do. And Acts 2 is a great blueprint for that. And so are the one another commands. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another is so much more as you see the day approaching. So we are to gather corporately so that we can consider one another, so that we can kind of take our eyes off of ourselves and think about other people. How can we encourage and bless other people and we're told we're supposed to exhort and even stir up. The word is literally provoke. We're supposed to provoke people to good works. I mean, how often do we think like that when we come to church? Today I'm going to encourage somebody and I'm going to try to stir them up or provoke them to do something good. To honor the Lord. To bless somebody else. Just to keep going. Just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To keep walking with Jesus. To keep being salt. To keep being light. Do we think like that? Because that's what we're supposed to do when we come together. Or is it, you know... I need to get something out of this message today or I didn't get something out of that message today or this didn't really bless me the way that it should have or this church doesn't really have that over there. That's the tendency of the, of of the, you know, the person oftentimes but to fight against that and realize we're called to gather and to provoke other people to love and good works, to consider other people. 1 Peter 4:10 says as each one of you have received a gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God so we all have gifts I've been talking about this a lot but we're supposed to serve one another with these gifts you know the thing about spiritual gifts is they don't work in isolation the only way for the gifts to really function as they ought is in community and so that's that's a really profound and simple truth God has given us a gift to bless people with but if we're not in community then the gift is ineffective and so we need community James five sixteen says confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another so the church the the gathering the body of believers is to be a place where we can have accountability I'm not saying that we're supposed to stand up and tell everybody in the church something that we've done but you should have brothers or sisters that you can come to and say hey I'm struggling in this area I have fallen short in this area can you pray for me? Because we're supposed to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. And to pray for healing. To pray for strength. To pray for victory. And so that happens in the gathering. Galatians 6 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all have burdens, folks. And we're not meant to carry them alone. We come together with our family and we're to help each other and to encourage each other and to help carry one another's burdens. And then he says, so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Well, the law of Christ is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is one of the ways that we fulfill that law is by helping to carry the burdens of each other and so that takes actually knowing what people's burdens are and we have to be in community we have to have that intimate interaction we actually have to be vulnerable with people we actually have to let people know what our struggles and what our needs are so that we can help lift each other's burdens and so that's why we must be in community we must gather so that we can fulfill the law of Christ Ephesians 4 25 says therefore putting away lying let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another and so we are to be truth tellers and we are to be truthful with each other and we're to be encouraging each other in the truth speaking the truth even if it's a truth that hurts have you ever lied to yourself before i'm sure we have all kind of lied to ourselves or we deceive ourselves but this is the, and we know that's kind of a ridiculous thing to do and that's the idea We are members of one another. We are one. So we don't lie to each other. No more than we should or would lie to ourselves. Instead we're supposed to speak truth to one another. To build up and encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. This is a huge one. There were false teachings happening in the church. And people were very concerned and Paul had to set the record straight, namely about the resurrection and end times events. And so when Paul did set the record straight, he said, Now I want you to comfort one another with these words. And so they were to to speak truth doctrinally to each other. They were to share a Bible with each other, and they were to encourage and strengthen one another with the truth of the Word of God. And that is Christian fellowship oftentimes when we gather we're talking about sports or we're talking about hobbies or we're talking about career or whatever and those are all important things and we should talk about those things um but there's also a very real place in which we should be talking about god and the things of god and asking questions about the things of god and communicating hey i don't understand this or hey this happened in my life and i want to share with you how god was faithful and you know those kinds of things and that's that's christian fellowship First Peter 4 9 says be hospitable to one another without grumbling so we're to be hospitable we are to to bless people to to right now we can't really have people in our homes but you know generally speaking this is something that is important for the church and and as we move into the next season of our church we're going to take this more seriously when we're able we're going to really revamp our our life group ministries and and I want to encourage us to be a people that are inviting people into their homes. And that, that is honestly one way in which people really come to faith in Christ when they're allowed to come into someone's home and they're served and they're, they're cared for and they're fed and, and blessed. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. Sometimes people just need to be treated kindly. You know, life is hard and we know this. There needs to be a place where people can come in and be loved, where people can experience kindness. And it says forgiving one another. You know, that's there are going to be times when we offend each other. And that would never happen if we weren't in community. So that's a byproduct of being in community is we're going to step on each other's toes. And then we need to know that we have a command to forgive one another. And so in order for there to be forgiveness happening, that kind of means there needs to be community happening. All right. Two more. First Thessalonians five eleven says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. And so this word edify, it means to build up, to strengthen. You know, for years, my life was tearing people down and burning bridges and, and so on and so forth. But now it's my desire that I would be one who encourages folks. And we have a lot of encouragers in our church and we love to try to to build people up and bless people in in a variety of ways and there are a number of ways in which we do that through verbal you know like speaking kind words to people uh through through meeting the needs of one another uh, you know patting someone on the back, just hey, I love you uh there are just a variety of ways spending time with each other you know these are these are just practical regular ways in which we encourage and build people up and lastly john chapter 13 verse 34 he says this a new commandment i give to you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and so this was the command of our lord that we loved one another that we love each other and so you know this is if you want to experience uh love the love of god obviously that happens in the word when you read the word and you pray and god meets with you and speaks to you but it happens in a very special way when we gather with god's people you want to experience the love of christ the embrace the warmth of christ you want to gather with christ people and if we want to display the love of christ we want the world to really see Christ love, Jesus said it's going to happen when we love each other. And so that takes us being in community, takes us being together, loving each other in action, and then allowing the world to see that. So that's how we're going to win people over. It's not through political arguments and, and all of those kinds of things. It's going to be through really loving each other in very practical and real ways and having people on the outside looking in and seeing this happen. And so the body of Christ is to be a place where we can come together and experience the love of Christ through one another. But it's also to be a place where we magnify and we display the love of Christ through our love for one another. And so I I could say so much more. I could do several more messages on on this, this very thing. And I've said a lot. But I just cannot communicate to you how important the church is and how important it is for us to have each other. And this is a very challenging time that we're in. We know this. And it feels even awkward to talk about these things in some ways. But as I said, it's our heart for us to continue to be together as best we can. And so, Lord willing, starting next week, we're going to be able to at least on some level have interaction again in person. And I just want you to be make sure that you are plugged in on some level, that you have some kind of Christian interaction happening in your life and that you are being encouraged, that you are being held accountable, that you are being strengthened and that you're doing that for somebody else in this time because there's a lot of need in the church right now. We have a lot of people in our church that need other people and we need to be available to love and to serve other people. Amen. And so let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we praise your holy name. We thank you for the church and the blessing that it is. And God, thank you that you called us into your church. And God, may we have the may we have the perspective that you have about your church. May we see it for what it is. May we recognize how special and important it is. May we take it that seriously and may we be the church. Lord, may we be the church. May we be a place where your people gather together in love. And we thank you, Father, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.